called seven prayers, seven simple prayers that can change your life. And our theme scripture is Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so we've mentioned this the last couple of times. Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago didn't come to him and say, teach us how to pray. It's a very subtle difference, but it is a difference. They said, teach us to pray. They, they were looking for a motivation, not just a method. They had watched Jesus pray, and they were so taken with his passion and with his connection to, uh, to God that they, they just wanted to know how to do that. And so Jesus taught them what we now call the Lord's Prayer, and, and we look at that because it's written in King James English and it's a couple thousand years old and it's in the Bible. We look at that as a formal thing, but it wasn't a formal thing if you could have been there to hear Jesus explain it. Prayer is simply having a conversation with God. And it's just like all your other conversations. The most meaningful conversations we have with the most meaningful people that intersect our lives they are informal, they're candid, they're effortless. Um, sometimes they're voiceless, we're just in each other's presence. Um, sometimes those conversations are pretty endless. We just pick up where we left off. And that's how prayer should be. That's how prayer should feel. It's having a conversation with God. So in this little series, we're following the Lord's Prayer, uh, seven phrases of the Lord's Prayer, and we're following the seven I am statements of Jesus. And so by way of review, uh, from week number one, we looked at this phrase and this I am statement. Jesus uh, taught them to pray, our Father which art in heaven, and the I am statement we twinned that with was I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And does anybody remember the first prayer we talked about, that cry of a child to their father? That's the prayer, help. Help is simply a confession of need prayed to a God who can meet that need. When you were praying a few moments ago in this service, God wasn't on vacation or on the phone with somebody else. God is attentive to our prayer and the prayer help matters to him because it's about something that matters to you. The psalmist said, help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to thy mercy. And that's a beautiful verse because a lot of times if uh, God saved us according to, you know, whether we were at fault or whether we were to blame or whether we did everything right or whether we had the right attitude, we wouldn't get saved. But the psalmist said, help me, O God. Save me according to your mercy. And your heavenly Father is at least as merciful. In fact, he's exponentially more merciful than any good earthly father you've ever had. He loves to help his kids. And then last week we looked at this phrase, hallowed be thy name. And this I am statement, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. When you hallow, you set apart God's name. You, you offer him worship. You're, you're ascribing greatness and majesty to him. Because worship is the door to God's presence. 
And does anybody remember what the easiest, most instinctive kind of worship is? It's just one word. Thanks. That's the easiest thing you can do when you talk to God because he's given you life. He's given you breath to breathe. He's given you a good church family and a good earthly family. He's given you enough food to eat. He's given you enough money to have clothes on your back. You've got enough of an education that you can understand what I'm saying to you right now. God has been good to you. So the simple kind of prayer that is so profound and so powerful is to just every once in a while lift up your hands and your voice and you do not have to be in a church service to do it but you just say thank you Jesus because he's so good why don't we do that right now it'd be wonderful because God's been so good to us we're still here we're still able to gather and meet we're still able to feel God's presence we got enough health and strength to be in his house oh thank you Jesus you've been really good to me You see, the prayer thanks, it's like the key to the door into God's presence. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That is the key to the door, just saying thanks. So tonight we'll move on and I want to talk a little bit about light for a moment. Because light is a powerful force. In World War II, Britain imposed a blackout condition during the German Blitz so that bomber planes from Nazi Germany flying overhead, they imposed a blackout so that there wouldn't be any light on the ground to guide them in their nighttime bombings of Britain's major cities. The citizens put blackout curtains over their windows and they made special coverings for the headlights of cars uh, so that only a small slit showed and it focused the light down so that no light whatsoever could be seen from the skies above. And blackout compliance was carefully monitored in London because under blackout conditions, even one small light peeking through would be clearly visible from the air and it would actually seem especially bright with everything else dark. That is the power, brothers and sisters, of light. Just one little bit of light, it just banishes darkness. This room, you can't get it totally dark because we don't have coverings on these windows. It's impossible to get this room totally dark, even at night. If there's a light in the parking lot, you can't get this room totally dark. One little bit of light, it dispels darkness. Now, tonight, I want to look at this next phrase of the Lord's Prayer and one more of Jesus' I am statements. Everybody read this with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And the I am statement is Jesus talking and he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now we understand very well why Jesus would say that he is the light of the world. We all get that. We can understand why he would say he's the light of the world. After all, he's perfect, he's holy, faultless, glorious, he's powerful, he's eternal, he's God robed in flesh, almighty God. Of course, he's the light of the world. 
He was the creator of light at the very beginning of time. And when he divided the light from the darkness in Genesis 1 and verse 4, that was simply the physical realm mirroring what was already true in the spiritual realm, that light was divided from darkness. He was the miraculous light in the homes of the children of Israel when all the rest of the country, all of Egypt, was suffering under a plague of darkness. But there was miraculous light in their houses. That was God. He divided his people from those same pursuing Egyptians at the Red Sea with a supernatural pillar of fire that stood between them. And on the Israelite side, it was light, but on the Egyptian side, it was darkness, and it kept them apart from each other. The psalmist David declared, the Lord is my light and my salvation. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could get going on that psalm. That's Psalm 27. You need to read it and pray it. The prophet Isaiah foresaw the Messiah's birth and he proclaimed, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. He was, Jesus was, our God was the miraculous light from heaven that arrested Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Of course, he is the light of the world. The Bible tells us he dwells in light. The scripture says his word brings light and his glory is going to be the only source of light in the new Jerusalem, the city where the lamb is the light and we will bask forever in the light of his presence. So of course, he's the light of the world. The very presence of Jesus pierces the darkness and puts the devil to flight. Jesus doesn't just have light, he is light. And that's why the Apostle John wrote these words. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, the Bible doesn't change, but the English language changes. That's why today we say selfie. Your grandma didn't say selfie. But the English language continues to change. 410 years ago when the King James Version was written, the English word comprehended meant something different than it does today. Today we think understands. And so we read that scripture and we say, well, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, it shines in the darkness and the dark world doesn't understand it. That's true, but it's not complete. That word means to overcome it. The darkness can't overcome the light. You give light a crack through the door and the darkness is going to start to be overcome. You let light in anywhere and darkness begins to be banished. So the light shines in a very dark world and the darkness cannot overcome. It. That's worth praising God for. Now that's John's gospel, but here's his first epistle. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and we declare unto you, and I join John the apostle in declaring to his 21st century brothers and sisters tonight, our God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no evil, there's no wickedness, there's no wrong. 
There's not even a shadow of turning. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. So of course we understand why Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. But brothers and sisters, somehow, sometimes, we don't connect the dots when it comes to everything else the Bible says about light. You see, Jesus is no longer here on the earth in physical form. But that's exactly why he has a church. <laughs> that's exactly why he saved you. And that's exactly why he said that we are now the light of the world. Now, I didn't get as big an amen on that one, see? Because we missed that part. Jesus is the light of the world. We will shout the house down on that. But he said, no, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but I'd like you to bring some people with you, so I'm going to leave you, so now you can be the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He said this, let your light, see you have light, you've got Jesus in you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The marching orders of the church are to show forth God's light, pierce the darkness and put the devil to flight just like Jesus did. Somewhere we have to come to grips with the fact that the first century church, all those wonderful Bible characters that seem like legends, they were human beings, flesh and blood, just like us. They had heartaches and tears. They had setbacks and frustrations. They even had personality conflicts. And some of those are even recorded in the word of God. But they were a light in their generation because Jesus put it in them. As I have been the light of the world, I'm commissioning you to be the light of the world. Well, Jesus isn't here anymore, and those apostles and disciples aren't here anymore, but guess what, world? Guess what, devil? We are still here, and as long as we are here, there's going to be light in the world. Look how Paul described his heavenly assignment in a letter to the Corinthians. Here's what he said. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And the darkness, the God of this world, the devil, is trying to keep the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. He's trying to keep that from them unless it would shine unto them. The devil is trying to prevent the light of the gospel from penetrating into the darkness of this world. He is in desperate measures. He is fighting with everything he's got and we see it in every corner of our culture today that the darkness is trying to keep the light from penetrating it. And then Paul said, here are my marching orders. I don't preach myself. This is not about us. This is not about our church or our denomination. We preach not ourselves. Here's what we preach. Here's who we exalt. Here's who we gather to worship. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. And what we are is we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God. 
Paul can't help it. He's a theologian. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness in creation, now he's commanded light in a different place. Now he has shined in our hearts. Our hearts used to be dark. Our hearts used to be bound. Our hearts used to be addicted. Our hearts used to be sinful. But God, who commanded light to come out of darkness, when you reached out to him, he reached down to you, and he commanded light to shine in your heart. You're different than you used to be, Pentecostal. You are far different than your old life because the light of the gospel has shined in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul also described his marching orders, his commission that he lived for. He described it when he was on trial before a Roman governor named Festus and a, a, a backslidden king named King Agrippa, a Jewish king. And he was talking to them and here's what he said his job was. He recounted when God met him on the road to Damascus and he was on his way to persecute Christians. And the voice of God spoke to him. He said, this is my commission, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. That's my job description in the world. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they, the world, the people that are still in the dark, may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul said, that's my marching orders. That's my standing commission. I'm trying to turn everybody I can from darkness to light. I'm trying to get the light to penetrate their heart. I want them to receive the same forgiveness of sins that I've received. You can read it in your Bible. The very next verse, he looked at them and he said, and I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Lord, let that be said of us, that we were not disobedient to the call and the commission of God. But Pastor Raymond, that's all a little bit complicated. I thought this was simple prayers. That's a little complicated and maybe even confrontational. You get talking about commission and you get talking about marching orders, that sounds a little daunting, maybe even a bit dangerous. And when you put it in those terms that Jesus is now relying on me, that kind of makes me feel a little unprepared, maybe under-equipped, maybe overwhelmed. I thought this was going to be simple. Well, it shouldn't make you feel any of those things because the Bible tells us that even the dark gates of hell itself cannot prevail against the light of God that is in the church. Now, they're getting fancier every year, but they still work the same. Every light switch that you ever walk by preaches a sermon. Here's the sermon. If that switch is connected to the power, then the light is going to overcome the darkness. You just touch the switch, and it is inevitable. It's a sermon. Every light switch in your house you ever walk by or touch, it's a sermon. If there's power there, if the switch has a good connection to power, then the light's going to overcome the darkness. 
and in the kingdom of God, you are the light switch. You don't have to have all the power. You just have to be a conduit for the power. And it all comes down to one simple prayer. Now, when I got all that crazy bad news today about what's going on in our country, I felt like preaching the opposite prayer to this, but it'll come later. But this is the prayer for tonight because it's the prayer of the light switch. It's this prayer. Somebody say, yes. That's the prayer. See, being a light in this world is simply saying yes to God's word and God's will. That's what you're praying when you pray that part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here in earth as it is in heaven. What you're praying is very simple. Yes, Jesus, you said you want this, I affirm it, I'm going to be the conduit for it, and I'm going to keep praying it until I see it. Yes, Jesus, you said healing, yes, Jesus, you said salvation, yes, Jesus, you said restoration, yes, Jesus, you said you love backsliders, yes, Jesus, you said the church is going to have revival, yes, Jesus, you said the gates of hell are going to be knocked down by the church, yes, Jesus, that's what you're praying. So it is quite simple, this being a light thing. Yes, it's simple, but it's powerful. It's just a prayer of agreement with the previously existing promises and plans of heaven. That's all it is, simply saying yes. You don't have to provide the power to do it because the God you serve and the Jesus you worship, he already has all power in heaven and earth. You just have to be the switch that turns on the light in your little corner of our darkened world by praying, yes, Jesus, I want that to happen because your word said it could happen. Yes, Jesus, and you just start turning on the light in every corner of your world by praying, yes. Now, for all of you that you're not so simple as the rest of us, let me tell you that the words in the Lord's Prayer are written in the third person imperative in the Greek language. And if that doesn't impress you, it didn't impress me either, so that's okay. Those words are written in what we call the third person imperative. All that means is this. They are not words to beg God with. They are not words to plead They are not words to moan and groan and weep over. They are actually commands. In fact, I was reading today, and I hadn't realized the third one. The Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. And then three commands, three uh, phrases that are written in the third person imperative. So they're commands. Here's the first command. Hallowed be thy name. I declare your name is holy. I declare your name is set apart. I'm going to command it. I command it over the devil that would like to dishonor your name. I command it over a nation that has lost any sense of morality. Hallowed be your name. Set apart be your name. That's a command to pray. In other words, you won't take anything else. You won't put up with anything else. And then this command, it's in This prayer, thy kingdom come. It's a command. Come, kingdom of God. Come here, kingdom of God. Then the next command, thy will be done. Be done, will of God. Be 
done now, will of God. Those are commands to pray. So I can emphatically say yes in prayer when I realize God gave me the authority when he taught me how to pray. So it's not me trying to be a big shot. It's not me trying to put on some kind of performance. It's not the power of a positive mental attitude. It is obeying scripture. I say, hallowed be your name. I insist on it. It's going to be my life. It's going to be my song. It's going to be my witness that you are holy, that there's no one like you. But then I got more, devil. Here's what I say to Jesus. Come, kingdom of God. Jesus, I know what your kingdom's supposed to be like. You brought your kingdom into my heart. Your light is in my spirit. And so I know what it's supposed to be like. Your kingdom isn't out there. Your kingdom isn't in all those abused kids. Your kingdom isn't in all those families that are fractured. So I know some of them. So in their family, come kingdom of God. I I know that that young person's straying. I know that that backslider's playing. So I'm praying over them. Be done, will of God. That's not the will of God that they're lost and go to hell. That's not the will of God that the world chews them up and spits them out and wrecks their life so be done will of God you say that that's kind of verbose no it's simple yes Jesus your word says this here it is yes yes don't let the devil take them down that path yes to your will yes to your kingdom in their life (laughs) it's a powerful prayer but it's a simple prayer That's what you're praying. You're saying yes. You're being the switch that turns on the light. That's all it is. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I love teaching this stuff. Would you lift up your hands and your voice? Maybe Maybe something came to your mind just then. Maybe someone flashed through your mind and you need to pray over them. They're not living in the will of God. Be done, will of God. The kingdom of God has been pushed out of their life by a bunch of sinful habits. So come, kingdom of God. Your word says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. So I'm just going to pray your word. Yes to your healing in my body. Yes to your healing in my life. Yes to your healing. Hmm. Oh my goodness. My, 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 my. Your word says thou shalt be saved and thy house. Your word says that you'll bring my children from afar, that you'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. My kids are lost. My grandchildren are lost. That's not your will. So I say yes to your will. I say be done, will of God in their life. I say yes. (laughs) My goodness. I like Paul. He's the guy that said, if I'm sober, it's for your sake. I could get carried away with this stuff right now. In the same epistle that we just referenced, 2 Corinthians, Paul has to deal with a misunderstanding between him and that church. His earlier letter, you've read 1 Corinthians. It's pretty rough in places. His earlier letter was filled with correction and discipline. It was all necessary but it was no doubt hard to receive. And the church was a little put off by that. Paul had spent 18 months in their city and raised up a church, and then he went on somewhere else to raise up another church, and he heard some things which were true, and he wrote back and corrected many things and exercised some church discipline, and 
now they're kind of a little off balance with the Apostle Paul. But they were comforted that at least Paul had promised to pay them a visit. And they thought, well, it's okay, he's going to come visit us and, you know, we'll kiss and make up and it'll be fine. But this was the Roman world. Travel wasn't easy. Planning wasn't always easy. And so Paul's plans got changed through no fault of his own. He was prevented from coming to them when he said. And so now, among the Corinthian believers, has risen up this little attitude. Well, Paul's just fickle. Paul's written us off. He's not a very loving pastor. Maybe he lied to us. And then they kind of got this kind of buzzing around the church. This doesn't happen at CCC, but some of you have been part of other churches. You know this happens. Well, Paul said yes, but what he really meant was no. Paul's yes is just like a no. Paul's no is just like a yes. Paul couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of Bibles. And so Paul becomes aware. He knew some of the ladies in the church foyer. I know he did because he knew everything. Paul became aware of what was going on and what was buzzing in Corinth. And so he wrote him another letter. And in this letter, he graciously used this misunderstanding to teach them something that was actually quite profound. And this is 2 Corinthians. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't beat around the bush. This is the first chapter. It's like, boom, here he goes. When I therefore was thus minded, when I said I was going to come visit you, did I use lightness? Was I just joking? The things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Now this isn't the burn, this is King James. That there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is true, our word toward you, it wasn't a matter of yes and no, that I said yes and I really didn't intend to fulfill my promise. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, you remember, we preach Jesus to you, me and Silas and Timothy, and when we preached to you, our sermons weren't just wishy-washy and changing and we didn't preach a different message every time it wasn't yes and no but in Jesus was yes it was a positive message of the gospel so Paul's saying to them if I could paraphrase do you think I talk out of both sides of my mouth do you think I callously break my promises don't you know I would have been there if my circumstances had allowed I try to be as true to my word as God is to his word. So my word to you wasn't a careless yes canceled by an indifferent no. When I preached in Corinth with Silas and Timothy, you know that our preaching wasn't a compromised message of, message of yes and no and anything goes. It was a strong message of yes. So he's straightened it out pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. But Paul didn't do that because he needed ego strokes. He did it because he wanted to show them something. Here's his next verse. For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes. And in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. <laughs> All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. If you know Jesus, you have a yes to every promise of God in the scripture. 
one paraphrase of that verse says, Jesus is God's yes to every promise in the Bible. And that's why you can declare yes to every promise in the Bible because you've got Jesus in your life and he is God's yes to every promise. All of the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen under the glory of God by us. It was a Canadian school teacher many, many decades ago, named Everett R. Storms. He made a detailed study of the promises in the Bible, and Time magazine in that decade actually reported on this. Mr. Storms counted 8,810 promises in the Scripture, but some of them were made between human beings. But he counted 700, or 7,487 7,487, 7,487, almost 7,500 promises made by God to us. That means there are enough promises from God in the Bible to claim one promise a day in your life for more than 20 years. And Paul said, all of the promises of God in Jesus, have an exclamation at the end. And the exclamation is, yes! Jesus wants you to have your healing. Jesus wants you to have your kids back in church. Jesus wants your marriage to be healed. Jesus wants your life to be blessed. Jesus wants your family to be sustained through a problem or a trial. All of the promises of God in him are? <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that, that's the amazing thing. All of them are yes in Jesus. So it's come, kingdom of God. Your word says this over here. Your word says this back here. You, you need to get familiar with that Bible that you tote around. Whether it's in a leatherback or paperback or on your phone. I don't care if it's in print or if it's electronic, but however you're doing it, however you're reading it, however you're studying it, I hope that some of it's getting in your head and not just residing on a device where you pay about as much attention to it as you do to yesterday's Facebook post. You've got to get that word in you. You know why? Because when you go to prayer, that word of God has got to come back and you say, oh yeah, and that's in there. Jesus, I need that one today. I don't need the rest of them for 365 times 20 years. I don't need all of those today. I just need this one today. So Jesus, I'm praying this one. And today I put an exclamation mark on the end of that promise and I say, yes, come kingdom of God. Yes, be done will of God. That's my simple prayer from my little simple self today. Yes, Jesus, I need you to do this for me today. Now, I want you to notice the very last part of that verse. God's promises are yes in Jesus, and they are amen in Jesus. But look at the last two words, by us. We have part of this too. The yes and the amen are in him, but they are by us. 
That's talking about prayer. That's talking about your light shining. The promises are yes in him. He's got all the power. The promises are amen in him. He's got all the authority, but it's by you. He's the light. He's the power, but you're the light switch that pushes that power on and lets your light shine in this world. The Jews of Paul's day, they loved the word amen. And the ancient rabbis taught that anytime you heard anybody speak a promise or speak a blessing over anybody that came from God's word, if it was a blessing or a promise from God and it was being spoken over anybody, not just in their services, but even on the street, if you heard somebody say something good towards somebody and it was a promise of God, it was a blessing of God, you were obligated by the Torah to respond. Yes, amen, let it be so. And it wasn't this little formal word like, amen. That wasn't what they were talking about. To the Jews, amen was this excitable kind of enthusiastic word. It was really amazing. Um, Dallas Willard is a a theologian, I think he's still living, I can't remember. Uh, he he it was a California theologian and has written some brilliant books about scripture and God and, and all of that stuff. And Dallas Willard said, the word amen is like the, the, uh, the word whoopee. That's what he said, quoting a theologian. Some of you, that's all you remember from the message. Well, good, it's a theologian. It's like, hooray, yay, whoopee. Amen is not this like drudgery word like, well, so be it. No, it's like, God, this is in your word. I need it. You said I could have it. It's a promise. And furthermore, all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him, amen. And if I've got Jesus, I've got all of these. If I've got Jesus, I've got everything I need. If I've got Jesus, I've got all the power that I'll ever need to conquer the devil and to whoop hell and to beat back sin. I've got everything I need because all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him they are amen oh my goodness I don't want to get you to say whoopee I sure would love you to shout amen (laughs) it's really just a simple prayer yes Jesus it's really quite simple as you walk through life and as you see things that are wrong when you see something that grieves your heart on the news Guess what? It grieved God's heart first before it grieved your heart. So when you pray, say, God, that isn't right. The devil's trying to say no, but I say yes. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You know, light is wonderful. You look at the lights in this room, and if you look straight at them, they have some power. They, they can be a little glary if you look right at them. Some lights are softer, some are brighter. But, but this is kind of unfocused light. Oh, we point it in the right direction, but it's unfocused light. But if you focus light, it becomes a laser beam. And a laser beam can do surgery on your eyeball. That's the power of focused light. And that's why we believe in gathering together and worshiping together, preaching and praying and teaching and 
mentoring our little kids and our youth together. Because when you focus the light, when you focus the yes, when you focus the amen, when you focus the promise, when you focus the prayer, it's very powerful. Learn to speak heaven's covenant. This isn't some little cute, quaint, devotional thought book. This is heaven's covenant over you. Learn to speak heaven's covenant into your life by praying the word of God. And when you see it here, your response is, yes. Your response is, amen. That's your response. You are the light of God in this world. You are the yes to his promises. You are the amen to his promises. You remember the verse. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen. It's in him, but it's by us. There has to be an answer in this world to the darkness. And the answer is the light of the world left here by Jesus himself. There has to be a response to the hateful no of this world that wants to bind and harm and hurt and malign and mock and misuse people. God's creation and it twists them into something unrecognizable and it ruins them with sin. There has to be a response and the response to hell's no is the yes of the church. Yes, the word of God is going to be fulfilled. Yes, the lost are going to be saved. Yes, the backsliders will be brought home. Yes, my kids are coming back. Yes, my home is going to have a move of God just like I feel when I go to church. Yes, yes, yes. You be God's yes. Not just for you. That would be pretty selfish. But for everybody and everything in your life. You are the switch that turns this on in the world around you. So learn this. Get this in your heart, your head, and your spirit. And then speak this. But don't forget the period at the end. The exclamation mark at the finality of the promise is yes. It's a simple prayer, but it'll change your life. Would you lift up your hands right now? I know there are things you're praying about. I know there are people and situations you're praying about. I want you to just lift up everything you got right now. We got a couple of minutes here, and Jesus is so real. His light was given so that his light could ignite in us. He came to be the light of the world so he could have a church that would be the light of the world. He is the yes to every promise of the word of God. I don't know what you need. I don't know if it's healing. I don't know if it's deliverance. I don't know if you need the Holy Ghost. Here's what I know. The Bible says you can have the Holy Ghost because it's given to all believers. So you can receive the Holy Ghost right here at the end of Bible study. If you just lift up your hands and say, God, I worship you and I want the Holy Ghost. You can receive healing just that easy. Your kids can come back to God if you'll just keep praying. Yes, Jesus, you 
you said that my children were an heritage of the Lord and that's going to be true in my family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes to your word and yes to your will. Would you stand with me? I need we just stand, let your body be an exclamation mark and just lift your hands and pray with your loud voice. Pray with your outside voice. Pray with your maskless voice. Even though you got that piece of cloth over your mouth, lift up your voice and pray like you didn't. Mandela Bosya Sabaa. Yes, Jesus. Sure, Dalabosesa, Rebolo Dalabosesabaa, Mendela que Dalabosesa, Dalabolotosa, Sotareba Lende que Rebaboche, Mende que Dolabasia Sada, Sotareba Bokia Sabaha, Mendela Bosesabaa. Again, I'm not asking you to break any rules, but I need you to connect with somebody. Unless you are here all by yourself and there's nobody in your bubble, that's okay. You stay by yourself. But anybody else, if there's anybody in your bubble, I want you to connect with them right now. Take them by the hand. Lift those hands together right now in the presence of God. It would help if you'd pray alongside of them. We're saying yes together. We're saying yes to revival in our church. We're saying yes to an ingathering of souls and new believers in our city. We're saying yes to the healing power of God, the delivering power of God rushing through our services. We're saying yes to an outpouring of the Holy Ghost at CCC. We're saying yes. Receive it right now. Receive it right now. Somebody in this room is praying for the Holy Ghost. I don't know who you are, but you can receive it right now in Jesus' name. Just as easy as that. Just lift up your voice and worship Him. The Bible promises that you will speak in a new tongue that you've never learned before. Come on, praying church. Come on, Pentecostal church. Just pray for a minute. Just lift up the Lord for a minute. All of the promises in your word are yes. All of them are amen in Jesus. Oh my. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Just wait on the Lord for a moment. <laughs> 